Good morning. So good. Thank you. So good to see you here this morning. Um, man, I just, that last song, I just wanted to say that there's so much just truth in it, man. I think that we've all experienced that grace and in some way, shape, or form, that love in some way, shape, or form. And I, I know that 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 song was talking a lot about sin and laying our sins down at the feet of God and that um, taking those burdens to Him. But I want to say that I know this morning there's a lot of us in here, in, in just situations I know because I'm the pastor and I get to know stuff. Um, it's one of the one of the cool things about the job um, is that there's a lot of people in here who um, are carrying some burdens, and I'm not talking about necessarily sin burdens, although that that's probably the case as well. But just some burdens as far as family issues, loved ones, different things going on, and I I just want to say to you too that uh, you have the ability and the opportunity to lay those burdens at the feet of Jesus as well and he he loves you and he cares for you and he he has the ability to lift those things or at least make them a little bit lighter right to help not to necessarily he doesn't necessarily just take them all away but he carries them with you and so I just want to encourage you this morning um, if that's you to lay your burdens at his feet man let, watch him, um, let him carry that load with you a little bit and encourage you and lift you up. And so, yeah. So we're going to be in John chapter 8. And if you were here last week, you're probably saying, John chapter 8, we just got, we just did John chapter 6. Like, does Mike not know how to count? Like, is that public school education? What's going on here, right? Um, well, I actually preached on John 7 about two months ago. And so because of that, we're going to skip to John 8 because, um, you know, uh, we just did it. And so if you want to listen to that, like if you're just so upset and you're like, I can't believe, like I just, you know, I, 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 I type A personality, we have to go in order. I want to encourage you. It's on the podcast. The sermon I would have preached today is on the podcast. So go check it out. And if you listen to it and you're still mad at me, I'll come to your house and I'll preach at your house, John chapter seven. But somehow I feel like that won't be a problem. So John chapter eight, uh, one way or another is probably about you. And I know that that's not something that you like to hear when you come to church. The preacher get on stage and the first thing he says is, this is about you. Like that's not, you're like, honey, we at the wrong church. <laughs> it's time to go somewhere else. Let's get out of here. He gets that crazy look in his eye, you know, and you're like, oh man, what did he find out about me this week, right? But I think that one way or another, John chapter eight, this story that we're going to talk about today is all of our story. Uh, and and there's there's really three main characters in this story, and I would say that we've probably played in our lives at least two of them. And one of those characters is Jesus, and you ain't Jesus, so you probably didn't play that one. But so we're gonna read this, we're gonna talk about it, and we're going to just kind of examine the different characters in the story and just see what we can learn from it and how it um, relates to our own journeys and what God has done in our lives and what he is, he is doing in our lives and how we can kind of take this and um, live it out. All right, so let's jump in, and I'm gonna start in John. I'm actually gonna start in verse 2. Um, John chapter 8, verse 2. It says, at dawn, he went to the temple complex, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. So again, I point this out every time, but wherever Jesus is, they keep bringing these crowds to him. These crowds keep coming. And even in John 6, we saw that it said a lot of the disciples deserted him after what he said when he called himself the bread of life. But even here, Jesus comes and he's beginning to teach, and we still see people coming to him. They want to hear what he has to say. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery making 
making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him. This woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They asked him this in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So here we have, we have Jesus teaching, and then we see these religious leaders, the the scribes and the Pharisees come. They take this woman, if you can imagine, they probably were dragging her to this place, throw her in the middle, like there's Jesus teaching, throw her in the middle of the crowd, point out her sin, and say, teacher, which is a sign of respect to Jesus, although these guys had no respect for Jesus, throw him in there, this teacher, what do we do with her? She's caught in her sin. What do we do, teacher? And they lay this at Jesus' feet. What do, we, what do we do? And before we jump in, I said we're going to kind of examine each different character. And I think that's important because we need to know who's asking the question. Because that matters, doesn't it? Like if I see you in a public place and I walk up to you and I go, hey man, what's going on? You're going to answer that a little bit differently than if a police officer, walk, police officer walks up to you and goes, hey man, what's going on? Right? Because he has the ability to, to put you in jail. <laughs> I don't. Well, I do. I know people. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't, I don't know anybody. But who asked, who's asking the question matters, doesn't it? And so we want to take a look at who these guys are, these scribes and these Pharisees, who are asking Jesus this question, Jesus, what do we do with her? And then we want to even kind of figure out what is their motivation? Because it looks like they just caught this woman in sin, and they want to do the right thing and get it justified, right? Get it taken care of, right? wrong, right? So these guys, the scribes and Pharisees, were kind of like the, uh, I, I like to call them the little, the goody-goodies of the Bible. They were the, they were like the smart kids in class, you know, the rule, the ones that told on you when you broke the rules. They're the ones that ruined the curve for everybody, right? Those were the, they were the ones that people like me didn't like, right? They, they, they're the, the goody-goodies. And I had a story from high school I was going to tell you, but I, I can't tell you about some goody-goodies. I changed my mind. But these are kind of the, the ones, these are the, the tattletales that get you in trouble, right? Except they're even, like that kind of makes light of who they were. They're actually a lot more serious than that. These were the religious leaders of the times. These were uh, the people who considered themselves, they kind of believed that they were the ones who were doing the work of God. They followed kind of the rules of the Old Testament and they believed that they alone could interpret the scriptures for everybody else. And so this is a big deal, especially since at this time period, there wasn't a whole lot of people that could read. And so what would happen is they're interpreting the scriptures for everybody else and they would kind of, it might say this and they might interpret it a way that it doesn't really go like that, but we're going to expand it a little bit, a little bit more and make it uh, even harder rule to follow and a harder and harder rule for you to follow. Like there's one point in the Bible where Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you guys are making the scripture, you're making the law like a yoke, a burden on the people, something that they can't carry. You're making it too heavy for them to carry. And so these guys kind of, they were the, uh, the religious elite who took the scriptures, interpreted it, and kind of told everybody else, here's how this is going to work. Here's kind of how you need to, to follow this. And it led to, honestly, a lot of rules being made and followed out that weren't necessarily at the heart of God. They weren't necessarily what he was asking people to call. And so they kind of did this thing where not only did they interpret the scriptures of it, they were kind of this elite in the sense of they thought they were better than everybody else. You ever met anybody like that? You like just thought of three people. I see that. It's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
they were, they thought that, and so they kind of, what they wanted to do is kind of separate themselves from the not so good people. They're kind of like us Cowboys fans. If you're not a Cowboys fan, we are better than you. It's just a fact. <laughs> Preach it. That's right. We are. We are. It's just, it's just the truth. And so they thought that they kind of thought that they were better than everybody else and they kind of lived it out. And so their lifestyle was kind of in a way of upholding the laws of God, but also doing it in a way that showed you how much better I am than you. Right. And, and, and they held, they were really held in high esteem. Like the scribes had a really important job. One thing that they did was copy this thing down. They were scribes. So they would write down the Bible so that generation after generation after generation could have it and read it. Like one of the reasons why we have this is because they did such a great job of copying it down. And so they were really, they were religious or elite. They were important, like so important that oftentimes in trials, the scribes got called upon to be judges. Like nobody has ever asked me to do that. Like, nobody even asked me to help them solve a conflict. <laughs> like, they're like, me and my wife are fighting. Well, let me help you out. No, Mike, stay out. stay away, right? They were, honestly, they were important people in this time period. They were the religious elite. They were held in high esteem. They were the rule keepers. They made sure that everyone is following the rules, and they believed that they were the representation for God. And guess what? They hated Jesus. They didn't like him. In a world full of people who thought that the scribes and the Pharisees were basically royalty, we see Jesus calling them out. We see him refusing to abide by and be bound by their false interpretation of the scriptures, and they really don't like it when he calls himself God. <laughs> they weren't fans of that. So they watch him, and they're waiting, and they're looking, and they're anticipating, and they're scheming for a way to catch him. As a matter of fact, if you remember a couple chapters ago, whenever uh, Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, it's, he calls himself the son of God. And it says in that text that that's when the Pharisees said it in their hearts that they were going to kill Jesus. And so we actually see this here in chapter eight, the playing out or the beginnings of that plan. They said in their hearts, we're going to kill Jesus. And this is the beginning where they're saying, we're going to catch him. We're going to get him. We're going to trap him. And so they bring this woman to Jesus. They're making this legal claim. I mean, it was in the law. She has been committing adultery. The punishment of the crime is that she gets stoned. She is killed for her crime. What will you do, Jesus? The trap is they put her in Jesus' feet. What are you going to do? Are you going to allow us to fulfill the law? Are you going to disobey the law and say that we can't do this to her and disobey the commandments of God? Or are you going to let us kill her? And in doing that, now you're not the friend of sinners anymore, Jesus. Now you're just like us, Jesus. And there's interesting background about how they even got here in the first place. Because for them to be able to take her to Jesus, they had to catch her in the act. And what that means is, according to the Jewish law, they had to have two people, not just one, but two witnesses catch her in the act of adultery. Like, not suspicious, not like we think she is, we heard she is, but without getting too you know, graphic, they had to see this happen. They had to have undeniable proof. And what's interesting is that in order to do that, you have to have a plan. And so what a, lot of, actually, what a lot of scholars believe is that these Pharisees set a trap for her as well. 
They set a trap to catch her. And what makes that really sad is that another part of this, like we're just getting into the law, man. We're just getting into the rules. But another part of that is that if they suspect that someone is in sin, specifically this sin, they're supposed to go to her and confront her lovingly and try to lead her to grace. But they skipped over that one. They said, we're just going to catch her. We're going to catch her in the act. We're going to publicly shame her by dropping her in the feet of Jesus in front of everyone because they couldn't care less about her. It wasn't about saving this woman. What it was was they wanted to take her in front of Jesus and force him to make a decision. Can we stone her? Which, by the way, was a very, very brutal way to die. It's exactly what it sounds like picking up rocks and hurling them at her one after one after one until she is battered, beaten, bruised, bloody, and dead. So they take her in the crowd of people, throw her at Jesus' feet, ask him to condemn her because they don't care about her. What they care about is trapping Jesus. It wasn't about righting wrongs. And what this does is it reveals their wicked hearts, man. Working for God They care about the Bible. They love the rules of the scripture. No, what this shows is that even though these men may have known every, like they would have had the Bible memorized, even though they would have memorized and known every single word in the Bible, it shows that they knew nothing of the heart of the one who wrote it. They don't care about her, man. They care about trapping Jesus. So what's what's he going to do? What will he do? He's trapped, right? He can't get out. Come on, man. This is our God we're talking about, right? This is Jesus. You can't. Moving on, second half of verse six. It says, Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one who is without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And so every single pastor, I think, from from the beginning of time has tried to figure out what he was writing in the sand. Like, it was a tic-tac-toe, was it like, like, y'all, every time y'all have heard this preach, y'all like, the pastor's like, here's what I think it was, right? I don't know what it was. The Kind of the historical view is that he was writing Old Testament scriptures about judgment and how you shouldn't judge people. Um, but some people think he was writing down the sins of the men who were looking, I, I don't know, but maybe one day we will, right? But his response is he stands up and he says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. What, what is he saying? He's saying she is guilty. She is deserving of the punishment. Now let the one who has the right to punish her be the first one to do it. He's not denying her guilt. He's saying let the one who has the right to punish her be the first one to do it. Verse 8, then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they had heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older man, only he was left with the woman in the center. One by one, they walk away. And if you can imagine, John uses like a, a, like a continuous verb here, and so it's like a slow dissipation of the crowd. So if you can just imagine one by one them dropping the stones and walking away, realizing their own sin, their own wickedness, their own un- unworthiness, embarrassed, angry, stunned, they walk away. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, verse 10, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
No one, Lord, she answered. And then one of the coolest phrases in the Bible, right? Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Do you realize this is the first time he talks to her? Woman, he says, where are your accusers? Has, has no one condemned you? No, Lord, which is a huge sign of respect for her to call him that. No, Lord, no one. Well, neither do I. The only one who had the right to condemn her was the very one who would not condemn her. That's really cool. And that's a beautiful picture of who our God is. I love this story. I love what it reveals about the heart of Jesus. I believe that if you're a Christian in here today, this story is your story. If you're a Christian here today, we all had that moment when we were laying at the feet of Jesus, condemned and deserving of punishment and death and no good thing. And Jesus looked at you and said, I don't condemn you. Now stand up, be saved, be transformed, and go and sin no more. Praise Jesus, man. I, I don't say this often, but can I get an amen, people? Thank you, Christian. <laughs> the scribes and the Pharisees, the vultures are, vultures are circling. They don't care about the woman. They only want to trap Jesus. They thought they were the voices of God. They were like, right? Like, don't we all have these people in our lives? You ever got that person in your life that they just swear that they are the voice of God in your life? And you're like, oh my, if I have to hear another thing, right? I'm just kidding. I don't condone violence. <laughs> well, in the right circumstance. We all have those people in our lives that are like the Pharisees, don't you think? You all have those voices in your head. Like there's this story I love, and I've told it to you before, but I'm going to tell you again because I think it's hilarious and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, his, there's this story about this guy who goes in a pet store. And so he walks in the pet store, and he's walking around, and he hears this something go, hey, hey, you, hey. And so he looks up, and it's this parrot. And the parrot looks at him and goes, you have got to be the ugliest thing I have ever seen in my life. And the guy's like, this parrot just insulted me, man. Like, what the heck? So he goes and finds the store owner, and he says, this, this, this bird just insulted me. And so the store owner walks over, and he, I don't condone violence, but he slaps the bird around a little bit, pulls off some of the feathers, says, don't you ever talk to my customers like that again. So the guy's satisfied. All right, cool. So he gets whatever he was getting. He leaves, and he, a couple months later, he comes back into the store, and he's walking through the store, and he hears, hey, psst. Hey, you. He turns around, and this, that stinking bird again. He looks at the bird, and he goes, what? The bird just looks at him and goes, you know what? <laughs> I told you all that's funny. We all have voices like that in our lives, don't we? We all have those birds in our lives, and it might be a friend. It might be a family member. It might be um, somebody that you even look up to spiritually. It might be a spouse. It might be, man, it could be yourself for crying out loud. My advice to you is kill that bird. Forgive me, Peter. Kill that bird. Cut its head off, right? And that's, I mean that figuratively. Don't be like, my pastor said to. Sorry, right? Like, 
don't listen to that voice. Do we all, you, let me, I'm going to give you a, a, a harsh, not a harsh truth, but a sad truth. You, I guarantee you, you have those voices in your life right now and they will always be there. It's up to you whether or not you listen to them. The thing that we need to listen to, don't listen to the birds, don't listen to the voices that tell you you're worthless, that tell you you're good for nothing, that tell you you don't deserve love or that you can't do anything. Don't listen to those voices that condemn you. Listen to the only voice who has the right to condemn you and yet said, I don't condemn you. Get up and go sin no more. Listen to that voice and that voice alone. That's the voice that says, I look at you, I love you. I see something in you that you don't even see in yourself. I see who you're going to be. I see who I'm transforming you into. I see where we're headed headed with this thing. And I loved you so much. I think you're worth so much that I sent my son to this earth so that you could be saved and have a relationship with me. That is a voice worth listening to, people. Kill the bird, man. Kill the bird. (laughs) That joker's fried chicken, man. Listen to the one that says, I don't condemn you. Now get up and go and sin no more. When the other voices try to tell you your worth, listen to the only voice who knows your worth. Right? The one that created you, the one that knows your worth. Now we all have that bird, right? Now, I'm going to tell you the one that you don't want to hear. We've all been that bird. Maybe you are right now. And you're like, man, I hope they don't come after me. The heart of the the Pharisees and the scribes, and it started out as a good thing. Like if you read the Old Testament, the scribes actually helped start several revivals in the Israelites' history because they could read the Bible. They would read out loud and there would be revival, break out. People would come back to Jesus But then over time, they begin to think of themselves as more and more important and bigger and better and begin to look at the people that they were supposed to be serving and look down on them. And it's something that happened over a long period of time, but eventually they begin to think more of themselves than they should, and they begin to think less of the people that they were called to serve. I'm just going to say this real quick. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But sometimes as Christians, I think that we lose sight of what God has done in our lives. And oftentimes we look at the people around us, who he's working on, who he's transforming, who he's building up, and we can have a tendency to look down on them or even judge them harshly. And we forget that if it weren't for the grace of God, if it weren't for the mercy of God, if it weren't for the transformative power of God, who knows where we'd be? We're not called to be judge and jury. And you're like, well, Mike, I mean, are you saying we can't like talk about sin in our community groups? I'm like, no, I expect you to like have healthy, good conversations. I'm talking about the way you look at people. And look, I know I have Facebook. I'm scrolling through and I'm like, she don't look like that in real life, right? Like, you know, I do those same things. <laughs> Sorry. But this is about our heart and how we look at people, how we judge people, how we, let me say it this way. As Christians, we are not called to be judge and jury. We are called to be examples of God's redemption and transformative power in our own lives. We have a choice in who we are in other people's lives and how we invest in other people's lives. We are called to be, as Christians, when God is transforming and changing our lives, we have this really cool opportunity to be instruments of God in other people's lives. 
Like, like he can use you to heal, to redeem, to transform, to be a light in other people's eye, uh, other people's lives. It's an incredible thing. Like the people at your office, your family members, um, your friends, the guy that you know at Starbucks, like they have an opportunity to see God at work in you. Now, what do you want them to see, right, Christian? Do you want to see them the parrot? that's holding them down, that thinks they're, you're better than them or thinks that they're not good enough or, or that they can feel a judgment or they want to see the Christian who has been transformed and changed by a living God. Who knows? They might even say, hey, man, where do you go to church, dude? I've seen God doing something in you. We have a really cool opportunity. And, and this, like as a, as a pastor, preacher, teacher, whatever, a lot of times I read this and work on this and it just like punches myself in the face, like punches me in the face because I have... Um, the ability to be a very critical person, right? And the person that has to deal with the brunt, Katie's like, mm-hmm. the person that has to deal with that the most is my own wife. I just like things done a certain way, and I, I, I don't know. And God, man, has been challenging the heck out of me the last few months, and the question he keeps asking me is, Mike, who do you want to be? Do you want to be that harsh judge, that critical person, or do you want to be the Christian that God is transforming and using to change other people's lives, to speak life and hope into other people's lives? Don't be judge and jury, Mike. You be light and hope. We all have the voices that condemn us. Let us not be a church that adds to the, to the condemnation. Let us not be a church and people that throw, that throw people at the feet of Jesus and say, I'll throw the first rock, baby. I got this. But let's be a church and people who put people in the, in the feet of Jesus where he can say, I don't condemn you. Now get up, be saved, be transformed, and go and sin no more. That's what I want to be. That's the church I want to be. So forget the Pharisees. But what about the woman? Broken, condemned, guilty. According to the law, she deserved what she had coming to her. And I'll, I'll say this, like, was it messed up that the religious people set a trap for her? Absolutely. Was it messed up that they didn't care about her and they just wanted to, to get Jesus? Absolutely. Like, was, was this situation wrong? Absolutely. But does any of it change the fact that she was guilty? No. Does any of it change the fact that she deserved a particular punishment according to the law? No. But that's not where Jesus goes with it. As a matter of fact, when we see people throwing her at the feet of Jesus, what we see Jesus doing is being her protector. What we see Jesus doing is being her shield from the ones who would condemn her. What we see Jesus doing is offering her salvation and hope and saying, get up and be transformed. Find hope and life and healing And what I want to say to you today as we kind of close out is maybe you feel like that woman. Maybe you see Jesus more as, maybe you see him more like a Pharisee in your life than a loving God who's your shield and your protector. But I want to tell you that's not who he is. And that's not what he wants for you. Like I was, I was reading through some of the different Psalms this week, and I just want to read you some of these songs, just to see how God sees you and who he is for you. Not the harsh judge who's looking to condemn you. Check this out. Psalm 6, or Psalm 5, verse 11 says, but let all 
who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them and may those who love your name boast about you, brag about him because of what he's doing in our lives. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor and with a shield. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This doesn't sound like a God who's looking to condemn and hunt down and throw rocks, right? Check this out. I, I, I saw this for the first time this week, and I, I had to share it. Psalm 23. Have you all heard of that one? I, I learned something new about it this week. I want you to see a picture of who your God is. If you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling lost today, if you feel like you're not good enough, hear this. And, and, and if you feel like God's looking down on you harshly, hear this. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He gives you life. He renews your spirit. He leads me along the righteous path for his name's sake, even when I go through the darkest valley, or some translate it the shadow of death, even though I'm going through the hardest times, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Those are signs of blessing. You anoint my head. You have blessed me so much that I have blessings pouring, overflowing out of my cup, is what it's saying. And then this, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Some places translate as surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Here's what I learned about this verse for the first times. That word there for follow or pursue is a hunting term. You're like, well, that's not good. God's hunting me down. Yeah, he is. He's coming after you. The Bible says here that God is literally hunting you down to show you goodness and mercy and faithful love. That is not a picture of a God who's standing ready to condemn you. That's a God who is literally chasing after you saying, I want to give you goodness and mercy and love and pour it out on you for the, all the days of your life. Praise Jesus, man. He is hunting you down to show you mercy and love and grace. We have a good, faithful, loving, kind God. And if you're in here today, and you're broken, and you're hurting, and you feel condemned, know that he is here to set you free, and he's been chasing you down the whole time, baby. So I don't know, maybe you need to be set free today. Maybe you've been a Pharisee, and you need to get set free of that today. I don't know. Maybe you've been listening to the Pharisees today. I, I don't know. But I know that this story is all of our stories. And so I'm going to pray. And if you need to be set free today, man, let God do that in your life today. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you so much for the truth of this scripture that the condemned woman is thrown at your feet. And although she deserves condemnation, although she deserves the punishment, what you do is you pick her up. You say, I don't condemn you. And you set her free. 
not to go and continue in the life that she was living before, but you set her free for something better. You set her free of the sin that has shackled her. You set her free of the thing that was killing her, Lord. You transform her. You pick her up and you say, go and sin no more. Jesus, you set us free. And so, Father, if we're here today and we're struggling because we're listening to the voices, we're feeling condemned by the voices, Father, set us free of the voices. God, if we're in here today and we've been living life as a Pharisee, God, set us free so that you can use us in other people's lives so that we're not a burden or a a judge and jury in other people's lives, but we'll see ourselves as as an instrument, an instrument that has been transformed, an instrument that is redeemed, an instrument that you want to use to help people see you to help bring people to you so that lives would be changed, that souls would be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. God, and if we're in here today and we feel broken and we feel accused and we feel shattered, let us hear that you are a God that is hunting us down to give us grace and mercy and love. And let us maybe just stop running and accept it and see it and watch you heal and transform our lives. Love you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.